Hello, welcome to Homework, Hutz's podcast about how to make the design, financing, and construction of homes work better and suck less. My name is Wayne Conger, the CEO of Hutz and the host of Homework. We speak with some of the smartest people in housing who are, like Hutz, rethinking the industry. Let's get started and explore some new ideas on how to make home work. Hey everyone, this is Wayne Conger. I'm Hutz's founder and CEO. Um, and pretty special moment because I get to talk to someone I talk to all day anyway, which is Joseph Brookover, who's Hutz's studio director. And Joe is sort of critical to the design of our products and thinking about how those get delivered into the world. How do we develop home designs that are beautiful, are efficient, work in many locations, but maybe most importantly, how do they actually turn from uh, designs into real buildings? And so today we're going to chat a little bit about how we think of this. And so Joe and I have been kind of thinking about this process of sort of reverse engineering home design. How do you kind of start from the end, the goal of having a really efficient, a really beautiful, a um, a well-built home, and then kind of back into the process of uh, of designing for that. So, Joe, good morning. Good to see you. Good morning, Wayne. Yeah, good to see you too. I'm excited excited to be here and kind of kick off these chats. Looking forward yeah. to the many more that will follow. And yeah, this is a, a great topic sort of for our, our first chat. And I think one we've both thought about sort of a lot throughout our, our careers that have kind of led us, you know, to you starting huts, to me finding out about huts and joining the team and sort of a lot of the the things we're trying to solve within the home design and sort of construction realm and, and industry. So yeah, this I think this could be a good chat and I'm excited to dive into it with you. I think, you know, the home design, like those those two words, I think might evoke a lot of images sort of in, in people's minds. Like when you talk about home design, you might think about how do we go through like creating a really beautiful space? What are the images I'm going to see along the way? What are what what's the thing going to feel like when I arrive there in the end? I think a, a lot of what your intro kind of alluded to, and I think when we think about that process, like that design, what you're seeing, while that's very important, that's not often the starting point. What the starting point is, is really understanding what the process is to actually deliver and get that design built and real in the world. And it's only through understanding that delivery process and how to make that delivery process better can you really deliver and execute and provide a really beautiful space. So I think like that, you know, sort of the systems behind the construction industry and behind design is really the starting point, I think, to a lot of the the processes that we try to set up and a lot of the ways that we think about how you actually achieve a really, really beautiful design. Yeah, I think it's it's a common sort of refrain with a lot of our clients where we sort of describe with in in early calls when we're first sort of thinking about the standard to go towards or the, or what the what their home design might be kind of describing that the design itself is sort of miles away from a built building. And I think that that's one of the things that's sort of happening in the industry today. There's like a lot of sort of plan sellers or folks that are kind of creating what seem to be really evocative images, but the reality of how those might get implemented on the ground are either 
not all that well thought thought through, or they're sort of an afterthought. It's like, well, kind of going to a contractor and saying, make this image happen. And I think mm -hmm. a lot of what we've been working through is thinking about the assembly methods and thinking about the framing skills and thinking mm -hmm. about the talents of a distributed group of contractors that sort of exist all over rural places in America. And how do you design for those skills? How do you kind of simplify a lot of the detailing? How do you remove finickiness from mm -hmm. the assemblies? How do you make it so that you're making the job of execution easier? And think through that right from right from the get-go. How have you been working? I know you and the studio team have dug in deeply to this problem of simplifying wherever possible. Um, mm -hmm. What does that approach look like? How and where does that sort of play out? Yeah, well, I think, you know, the starting point for that approach really begins like with an understanding of taking a, a nationwide nationwide approach and sort of finding common elements or identifying common sticking points that may traditionally happen sort of throughout like the, the design and construction process to really distill things down into the simplest level of elements that, like you said, like are very easy to be executed by a wide variety of people and are, are attractive for contractors to sort of work on these projects because they're very well understood. So, you know, it starts with an understanding of, you know, what code limitations are broadly, what are, what are construction techniques that are traditional sort of to home building processes, like what, what are those broadly like across the nation? And then like, what are the layers of like our understanding of, of building science, the latest building science and how we really create energy efficient buildings, buildings that have really good indoor air quality, don't leak over time. What are those products and sort of those building methods that really lend themselves well to the types of houses we're, we're building? And what are engineering limits? Like how, how are we designing these places that fit within standard framing that you can find in any lumber yard, any trust design company sort of across the nation? And we don't need to worry about like specialty steel or specialty connections or these really or these things that require, you know, special steel contractors to execute or special uh, pieces that need to be manufactured that are very particular to the project. So really, really, I think probably it starts with a, an understanding of what, what are simplifying things down to a common like slate of pieces or components or elements that can sort of be arranged and designed or pulled together in different ways that make execution very simple and, and readily achievable. I think one of the things that stuck with me early working in large architecture firms was that it was very clear that I was working on a prototype, that anything mm -hmm. we were designing was a one-time prototype. It would never be replicated ever again. Um, mm -hmm. Everything that we were figuring out, we were figuring out once and for no other purpose than this one building to, to exist. And sometimes that can be okay when you're working on landmark civic structures or enormous skyscrapers or one-off opera houses that will never, that are meant to be unique exactly to that location. Housing sort of works a little bit differently that, and we find this quite a bit in the, in the, in the world of very high-end custom homes is that they are also prototypes, that everything is sort of being worked out in real time only for that location. But the issue with that is, like you've described, you have very specialty contractors, you have very specific folks that are working on that detail one time only, one single moment of fabrication for particular elements within, within a house. And I think our, our approach overall, how do you create the sensation and the qualities of, of custom home building, 
but utilize a, a, a known set of ingredients that we're sort of assembling these known set of components that are worked out. They're not prototypes. They are part mm -hmm. and parcel of a, of a larger product and be able to replicate those and combine them in interesting ways, which makes them unique, but the underlying mm -hmm. components are actually very well known. And so I know that that has been a bit of a iterative process where we've kind of put ideas out there and then worked with our contractors to mm -hmm. receive feedback and then fold that that input back in to improve our product constantly, yep. which, you know, that's something that we see a lot more from the world of technology and sort of digital products, but it's a logic we're kind of bringing into the world of home design. Mm -hmm. Maybe you can speak a little bit to what that's looked like. How have we sort of totally. gathered feedback from architect partners, from our engineering partners, from our construction partners to improve the product that we're creating? Yeah, and those collaborations are very, very important. Like the more you can sort of like expand your network and have more eyes looking, looking at something where everyone is sort of aligned towards one goal of making things easy to execute, affordable to build and beautiful in the end, the better that product is going to be. You know, it's not it's not always so much like the the isolated genius figuring everything out beforehand, but really understanding how to set up conversations and have open collaborations uh, with partners to uh, continually improve a project. And how that works sometimes specifically, like a, a contractor could come to us with an idea about a framing method that is quicker to execute. So for example, like we're, this is a very specific detail towards this, but recently we're really making a shift to go towards pre-manufactured roof trusses in all of our projects, which are readily achievable because of the forms and the dimensions that are sort of baked into our standards from the start. But contractors are coming back and telling us this is both, it's a more affordable way to approach things and also shortens build times. So instead of traditional framing methods, which might take two weeks to frame a roof, we can have a roof framed maybe in, in three days, which is very advantageous to the project schedule and getting a building enclosed. So the interior work, which typically takes longer throughout the building schedule can be done in a more efficient process as well. So I think a lot of it is you know just being being open to those conversations, encouraging those conversations with our collaborators, and being I think both aware and humble enough to make a change when a change is better for for projects overall, and making sure that that sort of propagates itself through all of our products that we're designing and all all of our client projects uh, and conversations mm -hmm. we're having with clients. You know, we call our starting point home plans and approach standards, and I think that they're sort of standard to us, standard starting points, but they become unique. But one of the things that makes them standard is that we began at the end and thought about on site, what are some of the standard dimensions, standard grid sizes, standard material sizes that are already out there? And how can we kind of hack into some of the existing sizing that exists everywhere across and governs the entirety of the American residential construction trade. Mm -hmm. And so if you think about the scale of things, next time anyone out there goes into Home Depot, pay attention to just the size of things that you're looking at. Okay, I'm looking at plywood. These are all on four by eight sheets. I'm looking at sort of framing methods, and these are all happening on 16 or 24 inch on center intervals. I'm looking at window sizes that are sort of off the shelf and they tend to fit within those those framing units. And you add all those things up and it gives you sort of an underlying grid logic that we sort of used as our starting point and said, how do we 
remove the number of corners? How do we remove the number of cuts? How do we decrease the amount of waste? How do we utilize these things that tend to work within four foot and eight foot increments and sort of apply it across all of the sort of modules and the sizing of our overall house types? And so thinking about the pieces that actually come together and how little time can somebody be spending at a saw? Like cuts cost money on a site. And so if somebody's sort of ripping down boards all day because we put in sort of a unique size, then we're wasting time, we're, we're creating waste on, on materials, and, and we're not being as efficient as we, as we can be. And so maybe you can speak a little bit to that, how we think about like understanding the takeoffs of the components that are going to go into the house, all of the things that it's assembled from, and how do we try to make it as much as possible that they're readily available and sort of off-the-shelf pieces that can start to be yeah. sort of added directly into the structure. Yeah, and that, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You know, another advantage of that too is also, you know, we're we're building in rural environments. You know, mm -hmm. sometimes a rural environment is, is halfway up the side of a mountain. It's not very accessible. You know, so you can't if you're bringing in a thirty foot long piece of steel that's going to, you know, serve as the primary structure for your yeah. building. That's not feasible, or that's a very expensive, you know, sort of option. You know, how how are we also thinking about? How the site is accessed, and who are the who are the mm -hmm. hands that are going to be handling these materials and trying to hoist them up into place, or actually construct these places? That's also a very important consideration when you're dealing with a very diverse you know, the type of types of places that we're building in. That isn't just your your flat piece of land that's ten minutes away from a Home Depot. Mm -hmm. and that also plays a lot into you know making things manageable and keeping them standard sizing and making sure it can actually be delivered to a site. But yeah, you know, like you said before, there are Building materials are are standardized. There are standard sizes to a lot of them. Those are very easily understood what they what they are. You know, I think I think we just look we look at all those things. We dig into what what are the sizes of pieces of framing lumber that come straight from Home Depot, like down to the eighth of an inch, so that we we're designing our wall sections and our building heights that you can just use that stud as is. You don't need to cut it, and you and you're framing up a wall window sizes that also fit within that that logic as well that we're we're designing to that aren't are custom uh aren't custom sizes but are sort of off-the-shelf products that naturally fit within that logic as well there's a lot, lot of pieces that go into that yeah i think that there's often a lot of the design process is sort of indifferent to how that would be achieved that mm -hmm. the the image you produce or the rendering that you create or the design and or dimensions of what you've kind of concepted is often in the world of highly custom architecture and home design, totally indifferent to what the assembly mm -hmm. methods would be. And I think kind of starting from a set of ingredients and saying, this is sort of our constraints. We're going to work within these elements and how, how interesting and how sort of beautiful of a space can we produce using things that are readily available. I think, like you said, the access is such an important piece of this not just availability, because that, that, that matters a lot. Particularly, we saw that over the past year where we had crazy lead times on materials and things were getting stuck in the Suez Canal and windows weren't available anywhere and trying to get things from abroad no longer made any sense. And uh -huh. so how do you use things that can be locally sourced and readily sourced? But how do you also get them into hard to navigate places? And in a lot of cases, the idea of bringing a large flatbed or semi-truck back to a site is just inconceivable. That doesn't work. And you have no more access than, say, a pickup truck. And so how do you think about elements that kind of break down to that scale 
of pickup truck and the bed of a pickup truck, and then are able to be coordinated to be able to get assembled into a full home. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah. Another, I think you mentioned this before as well, but like another important, another important aspect of using standard off the shelf pieces is how that fits into contractor availability and sort of a network of distributed contractors that understand how to use these pieces, use these pieces every day throughout their careers. So you don't need like people with, with special knowledge to, we don't need to find a contract that's 10 hours away and maybe the only contractor that can build this house, but it's, mm -hmm. it's the local guy in the town of 2000 people that you're trying to build this house in. Like they can readily ex execute this thing, mm -hmm. you know, which is, which is better for cost. It's better for having a, for the local economy, uh, for having, creating that community with you're building your house with the people you're going to be living next to or living with or interacting with every day. Like there's also sort of like that, that social element of it and, and understanding yeah. sort of who, who the people are. Uh, that are going to be building this, and not not just like what the fancy image looks like on a piece of paper, where you're not you're not thinking through thinking through that process, and also managing the property. The one of the benefits of being able to utilize local talent and local trades in almost every market by simplifying what we're designing for is that you're able to maintain the property with that mm -hmm. with that team. I think one of the problems that happens quite a bit in very high end residential in rural areas is that a sort of construction SWAT team is flown in from somewhere to be mm -hmm. able to execute on the house. And then they sort of disappear. And then the plumbing has an issue. And then mm -hmm. you try to call up the local plumber. They have no idea what this is. They don't know how it came together. They had no hand in it. They don't fully grasp what the, the techniques are, not because they don't have skills, but because it was a, it was a prototype. And mm -hmm. so I think that's such a good point that not only participating in being of the community of builders that are in that area, but also having a team that understands how the house came together to be able to maintain it on an ongoing basis. Yeah, you know, all it's maybe getting a little off topic, but I think it's 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 all part of what we're doing. But that gets towards the bigger idea of what Huts is trying to do as well. Like if there's a fundamental issue with with the housing market in the United States and availability of housing, it's really about finding a network or creating a, a large distributed network of people that can be tactical in how we're delivering delivering houses in places where maybe traditionally it's been very hard to make housing happen because the pieces are very disconnected. There's not an organizing system around pulling these pieces together in a really focused effort in a very unique condition. And it's about establishing a process that can be repeatable in many different areas around the country that can help achieve that. And all the pieces from what the size of the stud is that you can buy from your mm -hmm. local lumber company to what what is the pricing process we need to go through with with mm -hmm. a contractor very early on in a project to make something predictable and making sure we hit a budget that can actually be built. That's that's all part of the process. It starts from the littlest thing all the way up to the bigger systems that we're trying to operate. It's interesting. I mean, it's a really, I mean, obviously we're working through this all the time, but it's it's nice to zoom out and think about that our design process is much more like systems design and a little bit less like kind of aesthetic image making. As much as that matters so much to help people understand the intent, our starting point is looking at what might be permitted at the end, mm -hmm. what contractors might exist or be available to be able to build it, what are their skills mm -hmm. and things that they're comfortable with, what are mm -hmm. the sizes of pieces that are readily available? And what are the details for how those pieces come together? What are the types of sizes of components that can fit into the most rural and most distant of lots? 
And you kind of start with all of those ingredients first and mm-hmm. take all of those, kind of throw them in the cauldron and and brew them up. And that gives yep. you the, the constraints. We need to design within that framework. And I think that a lot of the solution to that to this point has been, well, let's remove all of those folks and turn to totally manufactured. And I think that's why you have such a proliferation of manufactured homes all over the place is that, well, let's remove all of that kind of all those supply chain issues and let's remove all of those kind of delivery issues. But I think our take has been fundamentally different saying let's work with them and not against Mm -hmm. them. And let's see the things that are sort of common among them. And then sort of insert a series of products and a design logic that actually elevates the quality of each of those pieces rather than tries to rub against them and find a way to skirt around them. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think what's, what's interesting thinking about that is like, what, what we are doing in, in a way isn't entirely unique in the American history of, of home building. Like there's been previous previous periods, whether you think about like the, you know, uh, the Sears Roebuck housing catalog, like in the 30s, 40s, and 50s mm-hmm. that kind of have these set of, of plans and list of materials that are readily achievable anywhere in the U.S. that help create a system of how to build a house or even early homesteading. Like mm-hmm. people that just like the, you know, the settling of, of Western expansion in the U.S., you, we have have an individual going out and into the wilderness that needs to understand how to build something and, and builds a home. You know, there that has to work with sort of a, a disparate network of pieces to achieve something. There's been these these moments and different flavors sort of throughout the history of, of U.S. housing, and maybe now is another opportunity to to bring that that logic and sort of that ethos and an idea of, of software and, and systems building and and the way we're able to connect. To a much like le- leveraging like the advantages of technology and networking we have today to achieve that on a much quicker, more cost-efficient, readily achievable type of scale. I think it's a good note too around what do we mean by standards. It's not that standards don't mean the same or sameness. Standards actually have much more to do with method of delivery. They are the result of thinking through all the the means of execution. And when you kind of scrape back all the pieces and say, how might I work with somebody to design something that's unique to them for their location, for their lot, for their lifestyle, for their budget, what are all the pieces that I need to consider first? And it's all of the things that we said. It's all of the results at the end because nobody is really looking to buy an image. Everyone is actually looking to create a home or a property And so if your goal is delivery and your goal is execution, you need to think about all of the roadblocks that you hit along the way, whether it's Mm -hmm. permitting, financing, sizing, contractor availability, material availability, all these pieces. And so it's interesting thinking that standards aren't about creating a set of designs that are the same, but instead are the design type that allow us to leverage some of the existing standardization that we're tapping into in the construction trade mm-hmm. and sort of being able to make every lumber yard sort of a partner of ours, make every contractor sort of a partner of ours, that if, you've, mm-hmm. if you're carrying readily available standard size elements, you're a supplier of ours. If you've framed a gable roof of anything, you're, you're a partner of ours, you're a build partner yep. of ours. The standards are about what's out there, not necessarily about the sameness of the design. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's it's interesting, like thinking about like the form that our, our standards and end up taking. Like the, the almost the form of our standards are emerging. So 
sort of from from these conditions. You know, mm -hmm. that, that gets that reverse engineering home design. That's sort of the topic of our, our conversation. That the forms and the shapes that we're we're getting to are really emergent from the conditions of the U.S. construction and, and housing markets. It's not starting with like again some fanciful drawing on a page and looking how to force all the pieces to fit to make this thing executable. But like what if you look at what what is readily available, the networks of people building materials. Uh, the processes that we need to go through to make something happen, like what comes out of that? I think that's a lot mm -hmm. of what we're trying to find. And I think we're finding often that those forms are kind of connecting back to sort of rural typologies of home building. Mm -hmm. You right. know, what, what houses looked like 100 years ago, what houses looked like 150 years ago, because they were dealing again with kind of similar, similar constraints, smaller sizes, readily available materials, what could be handled by, by two individuals to frame a building. Mm -hmm. And, th and there's a lot that can be learned sort of from traditional housing typologies or housing forms uh, within the American context, because they offer a lot of lessons for how we sort of approach what our buildings want to look like today that are trying to address uh, a housing shortage or building in rural environments where it may be traditionally very hard to do. I think as a final point, obviously, to everyone out there, but this is a, a conversation that <laughs> me and Joe and all of our team are having all of the time and thinking about how does this become our practical method of execution? And how does it fit into a larger conversation of, of housing, housing delivery, and housing and housing availability? I think the final point here is that in reverse engineering this home design process, it's actually sort of a sequence of finding where the standard is, that you look at some of the common elements and among talent, resources, location, means, methods, you take all of those pieces and take them quite seriously, you'll sort of find what the home designs want to be. And uh, rather than trying to impose a design on top of a, a logic that sort of doesn't want it, on top of a series of infrastructure that doesn't want that approach, yeah. and sort of extracting it out. And like you said, that's there's historical precedent for that, that the home designs and the shapes that you see around we're sort of part of that lineage and other people before us found similar sort of forms. We happen to just be applying modern building science to them and, and a different sort of aesthetic disposition, but the underlying logic of how these get created are the same. And one of the things I'm really fascinated for going, going forward or excited about going forward is that new context will have new common elements. When we mm -hmm. think about when we head to the desert or we head to Pacific Northwest, or we're working working in the Great Plains, like those mm -hmm. places have different environmental conditions, they have different unique circumstances where we're going to have to find again, what the standard is, what is the, mm -hmm. the typology that makes sense in that location, that is in some ways already there. And we're sort of, mm -hmm. we're just discovering it and unearthing it, and then figuring out how to replicate it. Yeah, so let's, I, do, uh, let's do that. Let's do that. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, Joe, this is great. What an awesome way to start the morning. And I'm excited to um, keep talking about all of these things. Hey, guys, thank you for listening to Homework. To learn more about HUTS, please visit HUTS.com or find us on social at HUTS NYC. 
Check out the episode description to find links to all the interesting names and resources from today's homework.